Hey, welcome to the Sanctuary Church podcast. Sanctuary Church is a family following the path of Jesus together in Providence, Rhode Island. If you'd like to learn more about our community, you can visit our website at sanctuaryri.org or check us out on social media. Thanks for stopping by, and we hope you are encouraged by today's teaching. So this month, um, yeah, we're rounding the corner um, toward the end of uh, the first Seek season, which uh, we've been doing over and over. It's kind of rinse and repeat every January. And, um, and this season, I want to kind of just recap a little bit for us and then talk about, I think, what's next. So we've been focused on the theme of encountering God. So on New Year's, uh, uh, we talked about um, the importance of that vital behavior of spending regular time in the presence of God. Anybody watch that one? That was the online one. We weren't here in person. Uh, and we said, what if this was our one New Year's resolution in 2023? Um, and then um, Andrew talked about where's your chair? Anybody remember that? Find your chair. Is any, has anybody found a chair, by the way? I suggest a hanging chair. I have one of those, and it's great. Uh, in fact, the other day, Kevin uh, Fisher was coming by my house, and he didn't know where I lived, but he saw a hanging chair, and he's like, oh, that's where Greg lives. So he, he found me because of my chair. Um, on Tuesdays this month, we've been leaning into this experiment of fixed-hour prayer, and some kind of early adopting chunk of the church has said, hey, what if we pause three times a day to pray, kind of like Daniel did? What if we use that as a way to remind ourselves of God's presence? And I think it's been awesome. I just want to admit, like, I'm doing so-so on it, okay? I'm not perfect, so, but I'm, I'm continuing, and my goal for this year is uh, is to, by the end of the year, to build towards a consistent habit of praying three times a day. Not because it'll make God love me, but it helps me, right? Um, and then um, last Sunday, we talked about encountering God in healing. And we talked about how God wants to meet us in the places in our lives that are broken, emotionally broken, physically broken, spiritually broken, that God is a healer and he loves uh, to touch us where we hurt. And so we had this awesome Wednesday night. If you were there, I just felt like it was, it was, uh, it, it was kind of a, how do I put this? It's like, we want to do it again after that. I think we looked around and we said, hey, this was great, but let's do this again. Um, so what comes for, uh, up for us after First Seek? That's my question. That's what I want to talk about. I, I like to think First Seek is not a one-off thing that we do, I think of it like a jumper cable. Does anyone ever had your car run out of juice and you had to get it jumped, you know? And isn't that cool how a jumper cable works? Like you take the juice from another car, you hook it up to your car, and it sends this infusion of energy into your car, but then all of a sudden it restarts your own engine and you're running on your own steam again. Does that make sense? And first seek is like a jumper cable. What we're trying to do is attach these electrodes to our hearts and we're trying to jump a new normal for us. We're trying, and our, the reason we keep doing it over and over again is because we want this, the, this sustainable new normal of spirituality in our church. And I want to talk about, as we prepare to come out of the season of talking about encounter with God. What is the new normal that we want to jumpstart in our church? I think the next step for us 
And I'm including myself and Pastor Andrew and all leaders, elders, everyone. Um, I'm not there. But the next step that I, I want to invite us to is to become a people of the presence of God. We want to become a people whose lives, whose entire lives are marked by God's presence. That we're marked by being in his presence. That you remember how Moses came down from the mountain and his face was shining? We want to be people like that, that spend regular time in God's presence, and it becomes such a habit and a routine that we're marked by it. And I think we, we don't just want to become this, we actually need to. It's part of our calling as the people of God living in a time of spiritual decline. We live in a post-Christian, secular culture. And our, not only is the church in desperate need of the touch and renewal, renewing, reviving power of God, amen, our culture is a hot mess. Do you, does anyone agree with me? Does anyone look around and see that it's a complete disaster out there? And God's strategy in these times of utter cultural disaster are to activate new life in the church and then allow it to infuse and to pour out his presence in his life into the surrounding community. It's always how renewal, it's always how renewal and revival happen. And so that's why we need to become people of the presence of God. Our cool ideas, you know, our cool clothes, our cool graphics, none of this is going to be enough. It's only the presence of God shining through our lives that's actually going to bless and bring renewal around us. So I want to talk about, are you with me? Is that cool? I want to talk about... Psalm 84, and I, I want to share three invitations for us as we move forward in this journey of becoming people that are marked by the presence of God. There's three invitations and then two promises, okay? So the first invitation from this psalm, and this is an awesome psalm, by the way. This is a psalm that was written by uh, the, from the perspective of a pilgrim who is traveling on the way to Jerusalem. Every year, actually multiple times a year, there were these seasons of pilgrimage where folks would come from all around Israel and even from beyond and make the journey up Mount Zion to the temple, right? They didn't live there. The, only the priests and the Levites, you know, and the birds, the sparrows, and the swallows lived in the temple. But this is the song of a pilgrim that longs to be in the presence of God. And so the first invitation I want to share is to move from dabbling in God's presence to becoming lovers of his presence. It's to move from dabbling to loving. So many of us have sampled God's presence, right? I've sampled it. You sampled it. We've, we've experienced samples of God's presence here Sunday morning, on a heart night, on a retreat, on a men's night, on a first seek season, we've experienced dabbling in his presence. But the invitation is to become a lover. And so the psalmist says, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord. He's not there when he writes the psalm. He's dreaming of the presence of God. He's thinking about it. He's longing for it. He's meditating on it, even when he's away from the temple. In fact, the idea of my, he says, my soul yearns, it even faints for the courts of the Lord. There's a love here, and it's also the kind of love where it's like, oh, I miss God's presence. So I think an example of this is 
At one point, many of us dabbled in coffee. Does anyone, did anyone ever sample coffee once when you were in high school? And someone's like, here, try this. And you took a sip of it, and you're like, that's interesting. Why would somebody make a drink that tastes like dirt? And then you said, I guess it's cool. Maybe if I like slather it in sugar and cream, you know, and when you come to New England too, by the way, coffee regular at Dunkin' Donuts, it has so much cream and sugar in it. It's like, even Silas likes it. He's like, oh, I like coffee. It's like a, you know, soft drink or whatever. But then you used to dabble in it, right? And you're like, all right, I can swill this down. But over time, you began to develop a taste for it, didn't you? And slowly that sugar started to drop and maybe the cream started to drop. I remember when this happens, my wife stopped putting sugar in her coffee and then you wanted it darker. You know, you went through the second wave of coffee into the Starburnt Starbucks coffee. And then maybe you even made it into third wave where it literally tastes like the soil. You know, I haven't gotten there yet, but but the thing is with coffee is we've become, many of us have become lovers. Raise your hands if you're a lover of coffee. Raise your hand if you pine for it when it's not there. You wake up in the morning and your first comment is, honey, I love you. I'm so glad to wake up next to you if you're married. That's, what, that's not what my wife says to me. What does she say? She says, is there coffee? And, and this is what lovers do. They miss their love when it's absent. My soul longs. It faints for the courts of the Lord. He's pining. He's longing. Have any of you ever been in love? Have you ever pined for someone? Have you ever pined after that? I remember when Sarah and I started dating. I was living in Seattle. She was living in Providence. Right? Who would ever want to live here? So I was so far away. We talked on the phone. I bought a cell phone just to talk to her how much I pined for her. And I would go to bed at night and my heart literally hurt. You know, they talk about heartache. Like I was like, oh, that's a figure of speech. No, actually you can get this emotional longing for someone that your heart literally hurts for them because of the distance. And this is what this this is what the psalmist feels about God. And by the way, this is how God feels about you, friends. God pines for you. He longs for you. He longs for you more than, some, some of us think, oh, God is distant and aloof. He doesn't care about me. No, he's pining for you. He wants you. He wants you more than you can possibly understand. And the invitation is for us to long for God like he longs for us. And this is not just for the saints and superheroes. This is not just for St. Teresa of Avila or Brother Lawrence. This is actually every human heart was made to long for God, including yours. And in fact, I would say we already are. We're already longing for God. When I, um, a couple years ago, I was diagnosed with, uh, here, who wants my medical history? Okay. Uh, I was diagnosed, oh, you do. <laughs> Matt wants it. Great. Uh, I was diagnosed with gastritis, which is like, you know, stomach pain. It's probably related to all the stress in my life or whatever. Um, but when I first, when I first uh, got it, I actually felt pain in my back. And I went into the doctor being like, I'm having back pain. 
And then, and then I was like, and the doctor started put, you know how they push on you and stuff, palpate you or whatever. Anyway, the doctor pushed on my stomach and I was like, ow! And, and the doctor said, actually, you don't have back pain, you have gastritis. It's a in, in inflammation of the stomach. And what I found out is that our body has this way of sending signals that sometimes get confused. Like you actually have pain in one area, but it's referred to a different part of your body, right? So I was feeling it in my back, but it was really my stomach. And I think our longings are the same way. Our longing is for God. We think our longing is to build a successful business. We think our longing is to find the special someone or to have another glass of wine or to watch you know, the 20th episode of something, binging it in one night, or we think our longing is to buy the cool clothes that make us look awesome. We think our longing is for the kids to shut up and go to bed. Um, but what happens after that? Is the longing gone? No. The longing's not gone, is it? Because the longing is for God. And so the invitation for us is not, it's not to create some longing that isn't there. It's just to recognize, it's just to feel the sharp pain, the sharp points of our longing, and to, and to actually discern that they're pointing us to God. And it's when we feel that longing, oh, I want another drink. Oh, I want to binge another show. I want this. I want that. I want to go to Cancun right now. And that's, that's okay. You can do that. You can go to Cancun. But when you get there, you're, you know, where, what do they say in AA? Wherever you go, there you are. Right? And you're still going to long for God. All right, moving on. Invitation us is, is to move from dabbling to loving God's presence and to longing for it. Second invitation is to become a people who dream about dwelling permanently in God's presence. It's the dream of dwelling permanently. So the psalmist is not a priest, okay? Only the priests and the Levites are allowed to live in the temple precincts. Everyone else just gets to visit, okay? But the priest, but this psalmist is coming to the temple and he's, he, in his mind, he's just imagining and, and remembering the temple. And then he looks around and he says, now wait a second, even the sparrows and the swallows, I'm, he, he notices that they've built their nest in the temple. And do you know what he does? He gets jealous of them. He's like, I almost wish I could be a bird so that I could live in this temple. Blessed are the priests who dwell here continually. Right? There's a difference between being a frequent visitor and moving in. Okay? How many of you have ever been a frequent visitor? And so, yeah, you just move in. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was a frequent visitor to Sarah's apartment when we were dating. Like, she lived on the east side. I lived on Smith Hill. I would visit frequently. I would visit. I, 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 I didn't, like, I didn't have a toothbrush there, but I would go over. I would cook there. You know, I would hang out there all the time. We'd spend weekends. She would be a frequent visitor to my apartment, which was totally nasty, by the way. It was like, I can't, I've, like now I'm like, my parents came to visit and they were like, oh, this is interesting. <laughs> but the most painful part of being a frequent visitor 
to someone you love is having to leave, right? At, at night, it'd be late, and Sarah and I'd be watching, finishing a movie or something, and I was just like, all right, it's time to go. And it was so brutal. It was the worst. It was awful. It's like that Beach Boys song. You know that Beach Boys song? Wouldn't it be nice if we could wake up? Blah, blah, blah. You know, they're like dreaming of being married. They don't want to leave. And the invitation, this is what the psalmist is, is actually thinking about. He's dreaming about a different kind of relationship with God. One that just doesn't happen in fits and starts, but actually he never has to leave God's presence. He never has to go. Have you ever dreamed of that? Have you ever dreamed of dwelling permanently in the presence of God? Like you just never leave. Like Jesus, you know how he meets you sometimes in a mountaintop moment and you're like, Lord, let it always be like this. What if it was? What if he was just always there with you? The moment you wake up in the morning, you're like, hi, Lord. And then the, you go through your day and it's a constant conversation. He's, you're not alone. You're not going through life alone. You're not facing your challenges and trials alone. You're talking about them with Jesus. You go to bed at night. He's there with you. What if, what if we could do that? And actually, that's what the psalmist is dreaming about. And that's actually what so many of the saints and people that God has used in history, they've had this thought at one point in their life. They're like, wait a second. What if I never had to leave? Does that sound crazy to you? There was a guy named Frank Laubach. He was a, um, just an amazing, actually, he's such an amazing guy. The Lord used him to like bring a significant percentage of the Philippines and to basically he was like the greatest engineer of universal literacy in like the 20th century. Like God single-handedly used him to teach like millions of people to read and all kinds of other cool stuff too. Um, but he was a Presbyterian missionary in the Philippines and at one point, he went through incredible tragedy. He lost his wife. And I, th I can't remember the story, but I think he may have even lost uh, children. And um, basically, he has this moment where he's like at the end of his rope. And he goes up on this hill called Signal Hill in the Philippines. And he has an encounter with God. He has this incredible encounter with God. And he says, I don't have anything else to live for right now. Like, my, my life is a complete catastrophe, but I've encountered God. And he decided to make the goal of the rest of his life to just never leave God's presence, to just stay in his presence. He came up with this game. He called it the game of minutes. It's so crazy. He said, I'm going to try to think about God once every minute. And he started telling his friends about it. His mission agency, they're like, dude, you're going to mess yourself up. This is this is, this is like, you know, what's the word for that? This is like, I don't know, crazy. This is cult-like behavior. Like, think of God every minute. But what he found is that it just actually became a habit of him just constantly being mindful of God. And God transformed him. And it was after this decision to remain in the presence of God, God began to use him in these incredible ways gave him all this wisdom, insight, such that, yeah, thousands of people came to meet Jesus and millions learned to read 
and all kinds of cool things happen. Isn't that crazy? But he traces it all back to this one decision. What if I never had to leave God's presence? And here's what he says. He says this, it's as much our duty to live in the beauty of God's presence on some mount of transfiguration until we become white with Christ as it is for us to go down where the needy people grope and grovel and groan and lift them to, to new life. He says, it's our duty to live in the beauty of God's presence until it transforms us. And so this is the second invitation, is to dream. And for some of you, you're like, wow, that's great. I could never do that. I could never just live in God's presence. Bollocks. Like, that's actually normal Christianity. This is what Jesus is inviting us to. We don't have to be alone. It's not a pipe dream. It's a real dream. Here's the third invitation. The third invitation is to build a highway in our hearts. So this, the version we read says how, how, you know, he's talking about how blessed are the, the sparrows that live in the temple, how blessed are the priests. And then he says, blessed are those. And he's like, he's thinking about, okay, I can't be a priest. I can't be a sparrow. What do I do? And then there's this pause in the, in the, in the actual Hebrew. It says selah, you know, that means that's like a pause. And it's he's coming to the end of his thought. It's almost as if he's asking, is there a loophole? Is there a loophole for me to be in the presence of God when I can't live in the temple? And then he finds one. And he says, blessed are those whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. That's the NIV. Actually, it's a terrible translation. So I'm just going to tell you the ESV. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose hearts are the highways to Zion. Right? In whose hearts are the highways to to Zion. So he says, I can't live in the temple. I can't be like the birds. But here's what I can do. I can build a highway in my heart. And he's right. We can build highways in our hearts. What is a highway anyway? A highway is just a well-traveled path, right? It's a well-traveled path that at some point, you know, Eisenhower's like, let's expand this so that more cars can drive on it. It's a well-worn path. What's our heart? Our heart in Hebrew is the seat of our intellectual and emotional life, right? The emotions were more located in the gut. The heart was not just emotional. It was a, it was a brain thing too. And how many of you know that your heart already has highways in them? Your heart has highways. My heart has highways. Actually, are there any neuroscientists in the room? Excellent. <laughs> so I'll try this then. If there were, I probably wouldn't say this. All right. You can rewire your brain. This is one of the things neuroscientists know about, right? It's something called neuroplasticity. The brain, through repeated actions, habits, and thought patterns, actually rewires itself. It forms new synapses. You can build a highway in your heart by, play, by practicing the violin, right? If you practice the violin, you build one kind of highway. If you watch porn, it builds another kind of highway. If you go to therapy, it rewires your brain one way. If you give in to unhelpful thought patterns, it rewires it another way. We're building highways in our hearts all the time. Some of us have a highway to our smartphone in our heart, 
right? Wake up in the morning, it's like, whoo, what's natural? I'm going to pick this baby up, right? Others of have a highway to social media. A highway is a well-worn path, and we create the path all the time. There was a study that was done on nuns' brains, by the way, recently. I heard about it on NPR. Do you know that nuns' brains are different than normal people's brains? <laughs> You're like, I knew they were. <laughs> Let me tell you why. <laughs> Some of us have different ideas in our minds, I guess, when it comes to that. Let me say, this study found that nuns' brains were goodly different in a good way because of the patterns of prayer. This repeated habit of going to prayer, meditating, and spending time with God literally rewired their brains to feel greater peace, to feel less anxiety. Frank Laubach wore, but what he decided to do in the Philippines is to have a constant conversation with God. And so here's what he says. All during the day, in the chinks of time between the things we find ourselves obliged to do, there are moments when our mind asks us, what's next? Do you ever do that? In the middle of your day, and you have all these thoughts that come up, and you're like, shoot, I got to figure this out, right? I got to figure out what to do next. In these moments of time, ask the Lord, Lord, think thy thoughts in my mind. He was early 20th century, old school. Uh, you know, spiritual language. What is on thy mind for me to do right now? When we ask Christ, when we ask Christ, what next? Right? You can ask yourself what's next. What do I do next? You can try to figure it out. What if we just ask Jesus? What if every moment we're just like, hey, Jesus, what should I do next? We tune in and we give him a chance, get this, to pour his ideas, his divine, brilliant eternally wise ideas through our enkindled imagination. And then he says this, if we persist, turn to your neighbor and say persist. If we persist, it becomes a habit. So what do my thoughts dwell on? What do our thoughts dwell on? Is it the stuff we're anxious about? Is it insecurities? Is it to-do lists? Is it, is it all that stuff? What if we surrendered the cocktail party of anxious thoughts in our mind to Jesus? What if as soon as our anxieties came up, we just brought them to him? It's like, we don't have to fix them. What if we just brought them to him? He's right there. Just open the window. Just pick up the phone. <laughs> this is how we carve a highway. And by the way, we don't have to carve a long highway anymore, do we, right? This pilgrim, he had to get, get all the way to Jerusalem. Where's Jerusalem now? Where's the temple now? Right? When Jesus died on the cross, what happened? The temple was torn. The presence of God spilled out into the whole world. And now he dwells inside our hearts. It's not far to Zion. Maybe we don't even, even need to build a highway. We just got to open a window to Zion. So, Oh, if we do it over and over, every day, it becomes a habit, Frank says. And by the worship team, you guys can come up. I'll try to wrap this puppy up here. Um, the prayer chair, your chair can be a highway to Zion. Your closet, an hour of the day, a prayer practice, Lectio Divina, two-way journaling, silence, solitude, coming up to the altar to receive prayer every week. Emily, 
uh, Cordon said that was a highway to Zion in her heart when she was at her last church. She just came up front every week, no matter what. No matter, it didn't have to be some extreme thing. She just like, I just want to meet Jesus. I'm coming up. That's part of what, like, where we open this thing up. We just want to give people a chance to move their feet and to say with their bodies, like, I want you, Lord. And when we draw near to God, he draws near to us. And if we walk, if we come on the highway to Zion, if we, if we wear that path every day over and over, it becomes a highway in our hearts to the presence of God. And this is what we're called to. This is what we, this is what we have to do to become people of his presence and I want to just share two promises if we do this. What will happen? Because the scripture promises us, like, all right, it sounds like a lot of work, but I want to tell you why. Why is it important to build a highway to Zion? There's two promises. First, if we build a highway to Zion in our hearts, God will use even the darkest situations in our lives to bring life to others. Okay? It says when they travel through the valley of Baca, it's a complex, you know, hermeneutical challenge, but basically this, this word is referring to weeping. The valley of Baca is, is really a metaphor for our, our spiritual journey to God that we pass through a valley of tears, right? Have any of you ever in your life been through a tearful valley? Is it just one straight line up and to the right to Jerusalem. Some of us have had cancer. Some of us have lost a parent. Some of us have been betrayed by our best friends. Some of us have lost a dream or a relationship or a marriage. It's only a matter of time, friends, before we pass through the valley of tears. And if you haven't yet, you will. Maybe you realize that you have a problem that you can't solve on your own. Or addictions made your life unmanageable. Or you face mental illness in February. Am I preaching to anyone, by the way? The question is not, will we pass through the valley, but how? How will we pass through? And in particular, what will happen to our tears? And the, the psalmist says, when they pass through the valley of Baca, when they pass through the valley of weeping, they make it a, a place of springs and pools, right? What happens to their tears? Their tears literally water the earth and they make it a place of new life and refreshing for others. When my, uh, my in-laws found out that my mother-in-law was diagnosed with a, a terminal disease, God gave them this verse. When they pass through the valley of weeping, they make it a place of springs or pools. And they said, we think God's going to use this. And I was like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. This is the worst thing that could ever happen. And it was. It was. It was awful. It was horrid. And I thought, you guys, you're just being a seven on the Enneagram, Len. Like, you're just, you're just looking for, you know, the silver lining. But there's no silver lining here. This is horrible. But I was wrong. Because Len and Hallie, my, my in-laws, they had carved a highway to Zion in their hearts. And every day they met together to pray. Sometimes they didn't even have words. They did, they're, they're Anglicans. They just read the common prayer. But they brought themselves and they opened that 
window to God, and they kept it open the whole way through. And do you know that God used their journey through the valley of the shadow of death to give hope to so many people? At their funeral, there were hundreds of people there, and it was during COVID, and there were hundreds, perhaps even thousands of people who commented on the Facebook page. And it wasn't just the things Hallie did in the past. It was the way she was able to journey in the presence of God through the darkest valley that brought hope. She taught us how to die. She taught us a holy death. And God can use the darkest things to bring life to others. The second promise is that we will go from strength to strength. Okay? If we build a highway, if you build, friends, if you build a highway to Zion in your heart, you will go from strength to strength. There's two, I'm 42 years old, which makes me like the oldest person in this church. And there's like, there's one thing I've learned that I'd like to share, youngins, with you. And some of you, praise God, are older than me. You may agree with this. There's really only two ways to go through life. You can... You can decay or you can be renewed, right? There's, you can decay or you can be renewed. You're gonna fa- we're going to face all kinds of things. We're going to face trials, struggles, heartaches, breakups, divorce, mental illness, addiction, prison, betrayal, slander, death, disease, hospital rooms, lost jobs, dead dreams. And there's only two possibilities. These things can wear us out. They can burn us out. They can fry our souls. Or we can go from strength to strength. They can make us old or we can grow younger. And Paul says these light and momentary troubles are earning for us an eternal weight of glory that far surpasses them. Right? He says outwardly we're wasting away and yet inwardly We're being renewed day by day. And this is what it means to go from strength to strength. And the key is, is there an open door? Is there a well-worn pathway into the presence of God as we pass through these things? One day, we will arrive in the unmediated presence of God. And the question is, how will we get there? Will Will we... pull ourselves across the finish line, or will we go from strength to strength? So as we close, I just, I know some of us are thinking, okay, this is, this is, you know, highfalutin language for saints and and spiritual heroes. I just want to close by sharing about a friend of mine, and I'll try to keep this as anonymous as possible. I have a friend that several years back, uh, whose spouse, uh, left them. And, um, and on the one hand, this was one of the most devastating experiences I can possibly imagine. I don't know how I could have survived it. But the friend did not respond the way that I think I would have. Instead, what I noticed is that this person began to seek God. And I think it's because they knew they just couldn't make it without Jesus. They just couldn't do it without him. And the gift was that they didn't, have any, they didn't have anything to do. They came home from work at night, and it was just an empty house. And, and so they just 
got on the floor and spent hours with Jesus. And it was during this painful time that they, I would say, carved a highway into the presence of God in their life. And I watched, I, I watched close up and I watched from a distance, but the thing that shocked me is that the first thing I noticed is that it was almost like my, my friend became a different person. Like, just started responding to everything so differently. And I was like, how are you doing that? How are you maintaining this posture? And then I began to notice, actually, no, they're not a different person. They're just the person they were supposed to be. They're the person that, this is what they were supposed to look like. It's like God began to just chisel away at them. And it was like a, it's like a, I don't know, Michelangelo statue. Just like, oh, there you are. And then I've watched as this person just began to grow in wisdom and peace and depth and emotional stability and has become a mentor to me. I used to like, you know, we used to go out. And I was always the mentor. Now I'm like, oh, teach me your ways. Because they've carved a path to the presence of God. They just decided, I don't want to face life alone anymore. I just, I just want to spend every moment with Jesus and do it with him. And this is the invitation, friends. This is our invitation. This is what the normal spiritual life of a Christian is supposed to be. And so let's stop. Let's stop dabbling in God's presence. Let's become lovers of his presence. Let's long to dwell in his presence all the time. And let's take the next step in carving a highway to Zion in our hearts so that God can use us, so our faces are, will shine with his presence, so that others will see Jesus in us, so that we'll be a light to a really dark time, and so that we will go from strength to strength until each of us appears in turn in Zion. Amen? Let's pray. We love you, Lord. Just as we enter into worship, would you just, we just invite you, God, to take us to the next place in our life with you.